It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. These are the words of Charles Dickens in his classic novel, A Tale of Two Cities, where he writes about the French Revolution and how power is changing hands from one institution to another. And this novel, this classic novel, if you've read it, it's, it's largely written on this societal level involving the upper-class aristocracy and then the working-class peasants. But it's also written on this very deeply personal level. As one of the characters, Sidney Carton, he moves from being this very self-absorbed person to being a person who actually sacrifices himself for the good of others. We see in this novel the movement, both on the societal level and the individual level, the movement from the worst of times to the best of times, even while they're both currently present. Now, I found an interesting correlation between this classic novel and the book of Isaiah, which we've been studying for the last five weeks. Sam has largely been preaching over the first part of this book, and wow, it hasn't been easy. There's been a lot of condemnation. There's been a lot of judgment, and there's been a lot of God's justice. Last week, Pastor Sam introduced the idea of the archetypal city of Babylon, which Isaiah uses to represent everything that is wrong in the world, and God pronounces judgment on it. Quite harshly, if you remember, we were going over this in our small group this week, and just, wow, it kind of hurts reading it a little bit. But at the same time, we remember that this judgment of God's wrath, it's actually a good thing. We've seen both sides of the coin, both the negative side of God's wrath and also the positive side of God's wrath. So today we get to take a little bit of a breather, and we're going to focus on Isaiah 25, which is a little bit more on the positive side. It comes right at the end of this large section, which is about God's judgment on the other nations around Israel and Judah. And we get a glorious glimpse of the other side of the coin. This section, which we're going to read in a couple of minutes, it sounds very much like a, a psalm or a hymn, which thank you, Peter and team, for leading us through some of those hymns. I love hearing those hymns that remind me of childhood. These songs, these hymns, they shape us into who we are as people. They form us, and they even answer some of our existential questions. Almost without even us realizing it, they're answering these questions like, who am I? What's the purpose of life? And what am I to do in this life? So in our small group this week, we, we sang a little song. And I'm going to ask you to bear with me. Have your ears ready. Maybe you can join in this. This is the day. 
that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Nice. I love it. I love it. <laughs> See, it just, it just comes up from inside. Like if, you, if you grew up kind of in a, a Sunday school environment, going to Sunday school every week, you probably heard this song. You probably are singing it. If you didn't grow up in Sunday school and you are like, man, I don't know that song. I feel like I'm missing out a little bit. Don't worry. Don't worry. Tim just taught this song to the Tap Kids this morning, and later we are all going to get a chance to sing this whole song. As we read the text today, it sounds a lot like a hymn. I want us to let it shape us. I want us to let this text form us and let us inform ourselves of who we are. Now, one more note before we read this passage. There's a lot of city language, which was why I was so strongly reminded of the Charles Dickens novel. In this section, Isaiah, Isaiah speaks not only of the city of earth, the, the archetypal Babylon, but also he speaks of the city of God, this archetypal holy city, the holy city where everything is put right. And we're brought back into relationship with God. And in this formative word, we're going to learn about who God is shaping us to be. As Christians, as citizens of this new city, and as citizens of his coming kingdom. We're going to be focusing on this morning that God, in God's city, we are to be a praising people, a participating people, and a people rooted in promise. In God's city, we are to be a praising people, a participating people, and a people rooted in promise. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have a lot of Bibles at the front there. Feel free to grab And I kind of actually drug it out and kind of put it in people's ways that came in. I kind of think of it like going to a, a 3D movie. You can, you know, walk into the movie theater, you get your popcorn or not get your giant tub of popcorn. And then you go to your particular movie theater where you're going to watch this 3D movie and they hand you a set of 3D glasses that you need to see the movie in. You can go inside and you know what, you can, you can not put the glasses on. You can still watch the movie, right? You can still follow the script and know what's going on. But without those lenses, you can't see the picture clearly. We know that God reveals himself to us in creation and the world around us, and it is wonderful and rich. The Bible is our explicit lens where God has actually revealed himself to us, where we can see God the most clearly. So I always encourage you to have a Bible in front of you, whether it's a physical book or a digital copy. That way you can have that lens right in front of you. So let's open this word this God-inspired, God-breathed word and soak in it, allowing it to permeate into our very being and allow ourselves to see who God is calling us to be. So I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 25, which if you have one of the church books, it's page 500. I'm going to ask you to rise if you're able for the reading of God's word. I'll be reading from the ESV, And the ESV will be on the screen. 
O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain... The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, and Moab shall be trampled down in his place, as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it, as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands, and the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down, lay low, and cast to the ground, to the dust. This is the word of the Lord. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So as we see here, one of the images that is very prevalent throughout this passage, and indeed the entire biblical narrative, is that of two cities. In verse 5, Isaiah writes about the city, leaving it quite vague and presenting this platonic idea of a city. In a way, he's saying the virtues of any city that is built by a man. Oftentimes this type of a city is made explicit when um, God talks about the city of Babylon, like the Tower of Babel. Isaiah is pointing towards this human tendency to try to make ourselves like God. And yet God calls us to something else, something we see here at the very beginning of this passage, something that thwarts our tendencies to make ourselves like God. It's praise. Isaiah begins this passage with praise. And man, Isaiah is no fool. He is brutally aware of the judgment of God on the world, including his very own people. Isaiah doesn't have some sort of rose-tinted glasses in which he looks out into the world and he says, oh, everything's great and happy, clappy, and cheerful. He knows the despair. He knows the suffering and yet he praises God anyways. He says, 
I will exalt you. I will praise your name. How can he do this? Like, where does his praise begin? Or where does this praise come from? And I'm kind of asking the question to myself, where does my praise come from when I'm in the midst of suffering and sorrow? Isaiah writes both in verse 1 and in verse 14 that his praise generates from what God has done. His praise generates from what God has done. It's this, this mighty and powerful work of God that initiates Isaiah's praise. Now, you're all here this morning praising God. And we're here praising God because he first loved us. It's God who first created and acted and is actively renewing this world that we live in. It's because of God's work in our world that we come here on a Sunday morning and we offer him our praise, everything that we have. So this is the work that Isaiah sees. And it makes me wonder, hmm, what's the work of God that I see in my own life? How do I see God at work in my life? Where does my praise begin? And we often praise God for the things he does in our individual lives, right? Oh, God, thank you for what you've done for me. What Isaiah has in mind here, his praise is a little different. Isaiah's praise of what God has done is on the grand cosmic scale. Isaiah knows and he sees that God is building this new city, a city that will come here in this very place where we walk and where we go through life, a city that God has planned from the very beginning. Did you notice how Isaiah wrote, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Like Pastor Sam spoke of last week, God is not only bringing down this archetypal city of Babylon, but we see here that God is raising up a new city, the holy city, the city of God, which brings about the kingdom of God, the city where humans will once again live in unity. We'll live in unity with ourselves. We'll live in unity with others, the earth, as well as God. In bringing about his holy city, God is reuniting the entire cosmos. And that is why Isaiah is so full of praise. And when we, as citizens of God's city, remember that God is the one working in this world by being a people of praise, it kind of breaks down that tendency in us, our inner urge to make ourselves equal with God. However, just because God is working in this world, just because God is bringing about his new kingdom, it doesn't mean that we just sit in here and praise God. It doesn't mean that we just sit back and relax and wait for God to bring about his kingdom, which brings us to point two. As citizens of God's holy city, God is calling us to participate in the coming kingdom. God calls us to participate with him. He calls us to join in this work of renewal and to actually get our hands a little dirty. So starting in verse 4, we see many of these areas where God is working and where he calls us to participate with him. 
Isaiah says, God, you have been a stronghold to the needy in his distress. God, you have been a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. God, you wipe away tears from all faces. God, you swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. So I love how all-encompassing this part is. We see this vision of all the different aspects that God cares about with us. He cares about us emotionally. He cares about us sociologically. He cares about us physically. And he cares about us spiritually. I'm wondering, as we talk about those different aspects, emotional, sociological, physical, spiritual, is one of those striking a chord with you this morning? Or are you in distress somehow? God wants to be a stronghold for you. And we too can be a comfort for the people who are in distress. Are you in need? God wants to provide shelter for you. And we too can care for others in need. Are you hungry? God wants to host a feast for you. And I love this right here. This is a wonderful image of feast. And we too should host feasts for others. But wait, aren't we doing that in a couple weeks? Aren't we having a global banquet right here where we're going to celebrate the abundance of life? Can't wait for that. And it makes me wonder, who are we going to host at this feast? And also, Thanksgiving's coming up tomorrow. Who are we hosting at our tables? Who are we inviting in and participating in God's work? Oh, enough about feasting. It's, it's not quite lunchtime. Are you in emotional turmoil? God will wipe away your tears. And we too can be with people as they cry, as they mourn, and as they grieve. It's actually something I love about our prayer and care team is the actual training we get in sitting with people in the depth. And like Nisha, you were saying, something you loved about your position as a hospice nurse. It's you get to just sit with people and be with them in the depth of their pain and their grief as they go through those final moments of life. Like, it's such a privilege. Are you covered by the veil of darkness, this veil that separates humans from God? Uh, here's the good news. God will save you. And God is also inviting us, his people, his citizens in his new city into this process of bringing others into his kingdom. We see that God is inviting us to participate in this inbreaking of his kingdom through all these different aspects. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Don't miss out on the scope of God's care. Isaiah, five times in this chapter, he mentions the word all. All peoples, all peoples, 
all nations, all faces, all the earth. This holy city that God's bringing about, the city where everything will be set right, is open to all. In a sense, this particular passage is quite universal in its scope. We see God caring for all people on the earth and calling us to participate by caring for all people in all their turmoil, whatever it may be. Now, this image of of God as comfort, it sounds really good. And a city coming, I, I really like the sounds of this and being able to participate in it. But yet, just like the people that Isaiah was writing to, we still experience turmoil and pain and agony and the effects of living in this very broken world. So maybe if you're like me, you're thinking, God, how long do I have to suffer? God, I'm not sure if I can praise you today. God, I'm trying to participate in your kingdom, but it really doesn't seem to be making a difference, so why should I even try? And this is where the third point comes in, the third P, the P of promise. Because if we're not rooted in the promises of God, we're not going to make it very far. If we don't understand our entire world through the long-term lens of God's promises beginning all the way back with Abraham, we don't really have much hope. But in right here in verse 1, we see that God has planned these things of old. In other words, God has planned these things even before the world began. God's promises are rooted in his very self, and they hold fast, thankfully, despite how we feel. Despite the social, political, economical, environmental climate of today, which Melissa reminded us about as she prayed, God's promises hold fast. Because when God speaks, things happen. Creation begins when God speaks. Cities tumble and veils are torn. This is one of the central themes of this passage, that imagery of a veil being torn. In verse 8 we read, He, God, will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Now just full stop there. Full stop. The Lord has spoken. When God speaks, things happen. Uh, But when? Um, God, when will you swallow up death forever? And when will you wipe away all of my tears? And when will you remove this veil? And when will will your city come? I have all these questions about when. And as it turns out, God has done these things. God has swallowed up death forever. God has wiped away all our tears. He has removed this veil, and God's city has come through the work and person of his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus' redemptive work accomplished on the cross for the entire world. Jesus is the one that tore that veil. 
the veil that separates us from God, the veil that keeps us in the city of earth. Now, Isaiah knew that these things would happen. And we know that they have happened. So, again, why do I still suffer? Why does it seem like the city of man is still the one reigning? It's because we live in the already, not yet kingdom. Or for my theology nerds, inaugurated eschatology. I wrote that one in there for Mark, and he's not here. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. God has already done these things. Jesus is already ruling on the throne. And yet, we live in a time when this city has not come into its complete fullness. So, even though we're living in this already not time, God is calling us to be citizens of this holy kingdom, to act as if the kingdom has come to praise God in the streets, to participate in his work in the coming kingdom, and to live as people of the promise. I've got one more quote from Charles Dickens in his classic novel, A Tale of Two Cities. Can I go and ask Peter and team to come up? So the, the main character in this novel. He's, he's kind of our Christ type in this story. We see a lot of change in him throughout. He, he's a very self-absorbed man at the beginning. And at the end, he goes to the guillotine. His death is actually for the benefit of others. And so I want to finish with this quote that is by this this Christ-like figure in the novel. I see a beautiful city and a brilliant people rising from this abyss. I see the lives for which I lay down my life, peaceful, useful, prosperous, and happy. I see that I hold a sanctuary in their hearts and in the hearts of their descendants, generations hence. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. You are citizens of his kingdom.